Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. I am Alyssa Gray, and today we'll be learning Erevin Daf Chafhei, Erevin page 25. Daf Chafhei continues the discussion of a carpave greater than two Beit Sa'az in size that was not hukaf Dira, not enclosed for residential purposes. On 25a, we find a dispute between Rava and Rava about the ways one might go about reducing the size of such a carpaf so that one might carry freely within it on Shabbat. We won't linger over the Rava-Rava dispute, except to note that Rava introduces a concept known as Lavud. This is the principle that solid surfaces that have a space of less than three tfachim, three handbreadths between them, are considered to be joined together. This is a useful concept to keep in mind. Later on 25a, we're instructed as to the following situation. A carpaf larger than two Beit Sa'az was not hukaf ladira, not enclosed for residential purposes. The carpaf contains a tail, a mound, a topographical feature with which we're familiar from archaeology. Often these are remnants of human habitation. The indispensable commentator Rashi describes the tale in this case as being one of the enclosures of the Karpath. If for residential purposes one puts up a partition called a mechitza, four handbreadths into the Karpath from this tale, then this mechitza is effective, ho'il, to permit carrying in the Karpath on Shabbat. Even though the karpaf is still more than two Beit Sa'as in size, the new partition renders it hukaf ladira, or enclosed for residential purposes, and thus we may carry freely within it on Shabbat. But that's not all. Rav Chista and Rav Hamnuna disagree about whether it is effective, ho'il, to put the mechitza within three tfachim, three handbreadths of the tail, or right on the edge of the tail itself, al sfat tail, literally right on the lip of the tail. If the mechitza is right on the edge of the tail, this is analogized to a situation called mechitza al gabe mechitza, or a partition on a partition. The Gemara concludes that Rav Chista holds that the Mechitza is effective in that situation. At this point, the Gemara takes an interesting twist. Although Rav Chista is said to hold that constructing a Mechitza for residential purposes on top of another Mechitza that was not put up for residential purposes is indeed ho'il or effective with regard to Shabbat law, it is not effective with regard to another law, the law of staking a claim to and acquiring ownerless property, in this case, an ownerless property called nichse hager, the properties of the convert. So if this property is already surrounded by a partition, a mechitza, and a person who wishes to acquire the property places another mechitza on top of that one, the person does not thereby acquire that property. The Gemara goes even further on this issue of acquiring this ownerless property. If someone planted turnip seeds 
in cracks on a piece of ownerless convert's land, and then a second person came along and plowed up the land a little bit, the second person acquires the land and not the first. Why? Why should that be the case? The answer is that the second person, by plowing a little bit, as slight as the plowing was, that person did something that was a direct improvement to the land. The first person who simply sowed the seeds, any improvement that will come to the land because of the sowing of the seeds will happen by itself at a later date. Therefore, since the second person has done something directly to improve the land, that action is what acquires the property for him. The Gemara graphically illustrates the application of these principles about acquiring this ownerless property in a story. An unnamed woman is said to have built a mechitza on top of a mechitza in order to acquire some of this ownerless nichse hager, convert's property. A man, also unnamed, came along and plowed the area a bit. Rav Nachman declared the man to be the owner of the property. The woman is said then to have come and screamed, and the verb used for screamed is the Aramaic verb tzavacha, about which I'll say more in a few minutes. She screamed before Rav Nachman, presumably at what she perceives to be the injustice of the situation. After all, she was there first, she did an action, she built the mechitza on top of the mechitza that was already around the ownerless property. Why shouldn't she be able to acquire and take possession of the property? Rav Nachman listens to her scream, and then he throws up his hands, as it were, and says, what can I do for you? You didn't take possession of the property in the way that people should take possession. There are many interesting aspects to this story. In terms of the legal principles it is meant to illustrate, it is indeed true, as we've seen the Gemara develop to this point, that the woman's action of constructing a mechitza al gabe mechitza was insufficient to allow her to acquire the property, while the man's action of plowing a little bit was sufficient, as Rav Nachman points out. The woman's sense of injustice may reflect the rabbi's sense that there is indeed something unfair about not allowing the property to be acquired by building a mechitza al gabe mechitza. Yet the gender angle is unavoidable. Looking at the story through a gender lens, we may ask, would a woman really have had up-to-date, up-to-the-minute knowledge of the law? Moreover, the story is not an isolated case. There are a number of such stories in the Talmud Bavli in which women are portrayed as coming before rabbis to scream, again using this verb, tzavacha, about injustices they feel have been done them. The use of the word scream in these stories is reminiscent of the Torah's use of the verb litzok, of the three-letter root sadi ayin kuf, to cry out about injustice. In the Torah, that verb is used to describe the crying out of the poor and the oppressed, including the children of Israel in the land of Egypt. As it happens, however, women typically walk away empty-handed from their encounters with rabbis in the Babylonian Talmud. They come to scream about perceived injustices, and typically they do not walk away with satisfaction of their claims. 
Rav Nachman himself, the protagonist in this story, is portrayed as being very dismissive of a woman who comes before him in Tractate Sukkah, Daf Lamad Aleph Amad Aleph, Sukkah, page 31a, about a Sukkah that she believes was stolen from her by some powerful people. She comes to him to scream about this, and Rav Nachman is very dismissive of her claim. Academic scholars have begun to study these stories, which, as we're seeing, are not necessarily the most positive portrayals of women's encounters with rabbis in the Babylonian Talmud. But fortunately, there is much more Talmud to study, and we will study it tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros, from the Epic Chorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.